The OSS Cubed is back from February 25th to March 25th. The OSS Cubed gets underway on Sunday, February 25th, and it's bringing to the table over $15 million in guarantees over four weeks. Yep, that's $15 million, our most exciting endeavor yet, with three massive main events. We're talking three consecutive tourney series, and it all starts with Moss, our mini online super series, beginning February 25th. Then, on March 5th, our flagship OSS, that's Online Super Series, drops. And on March 19th, The Boss, the bigger Online Super Series. It all adds up to 141 online poker events with something for everyone. And with the weekly Million Dollar Sunday Tournament, it's something you can't afford to miss. Moss, OSS, or Boss? Whether you choose one or all, this is absolutely huge, and it's waiting for you at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 168 on the com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of your ads or banners on the com website. Follow us on Twitter at oneouter.com, and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash oneouter. This episode and all of the previous episodes are on the oneouter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at oneouter.com, or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, episode 168, we missed last week, we both had a well-deserved break. Are you feeling refreshed and ready to go? I am ready to go. Thank you for having me on, as always. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's our pleasure. So, what's been happening? Um, any new products? Any late night working on new projects? Have you been playing poker? What's been happening? It's funny you ask that, because I'm specifically trying to not work late nights anymore. I Since I've got gone to New York, actually I think since I've gone to the United States I, I don't think I've taken a night off like I work Gary V always does the hey if you want to make it work from 9 to 5 <laughs> come home, spend a couple hours with your family and then 7 to 2 is plenty of time to do damage or however his voice octave goes, right? Yeah. But uh I, I don't I didn't even take the two hours off. I well the thing is you, when you call the IRS and you go look uh, this coming year for my taxes uh, just made some money I want to I want to pay you guys your cut but I had this fun thing called a divorce and that kind of cleaned me out plus some I uh, don't know what's going to happen with your money they they're not too sympathetic. Right, they're not. What they're like. Well, you got to pay your taxes, and it's like okay. Uh, I, which I understand. Right, they've always been. The IRS has actually always been really good to me, just because I've had pretty good communication with them. And I get it's kind of weird to tax a gambler or somebody who works in the gambling industry but doesn't technically work for a gaming company. I could see how that could be a pain in the ass. So I really appreciate how they've been with me, but. Since I got back to the United States, I had to pay for the move uh, back to the United States. I had to pay a lot of money. You know, the divorce took forever, right? Like, we were officially split for a long time. But it took 
you know, like a year or something to get everything done. And then every time you walk into that lawyer's office, it's another 2000. Right. And it's like, just, just, she can have everything. Can we just finish? Right. Stop walking into the office. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, no, no more walking. I am staying into this office. I'm staying in this <laughs> office until you give her everything, and then I will leave, okay? Right? Yeah. And then, uh, well, it was just a hundred things. Well, the other thing was, I it, it wasn't even like a heated divorce or anything. It was just like, hey, you know, I, I got to go, right? Like, uh, there's nothing for me in Costa Rica anymore. Like, I really, I like these people, but if I have a choice, I'd like to go back to my home culture now that there's this rift. Between, you know, it's a, it's always hard for the friends, right? Like, oh, are we siding with one person if we spend time with one or anything like that? And at mm-hmm. some point I realized, you know, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't want to go back to renting an apartment here or something like that. And my Spanish is decent, but it's not great. And if I really ever want to have, uh, intimate relationships in my life again, it's probably, uh, my, my ex-wife spoke fluent English and it was still difficult because your first language is very important. Like the word miserable, does the word miserable mean anything to you, Barry? Yeah. Yeah. But like, if you said, oh, this person looks miserable, how offensive would that be on a scale of one to 10? Um, if someone said about me, or... Yeah, yeah, if someone said, you look miserable, on a scale of 1 to 10, how offensive would you find that? Mm, I don't know. If it, I, I think concerning it'd be a better word yeah, to rather than offensive. Yeah. Miserable in Spanish is one of the worst things you could call somebody. So one day I said uh, to my ex-wife, you look miserable, right? Because she had a rough day. And I essentially said, like, you look like the desecrated ass crack of life or something, right? Like, that's, it was, it, it, it is that bad in Spanish. And there's a hundred thousand things like that between the two languages, right? And I just, that doesn't just come up in intimate relationships. That comes up in business. That comes up in friendships. People think you're much more abrasive because there's certain American stereotypes that are true about us. We're very loud. We're a little too direct. But those are very offensive in different cultures, right? And if you keep reverting back to it and you keep offending people. And, you know, I, I just said, I want to go back. And, yeah, and it, I did it a little too hastily. I didn't have the money for it. I said, whatever, I'll do it. I'll recuperate. And then my business fell off a cliff, right? So now I have this tax bill and my business falls off a cliff. And the reason for that, it took me a long time to figure this out. Most of my business was with 25-year-olds, right? Like 60% of my personal lessons were guys who, uh, they dropped out of college and they wanted to make it in poker, right? Mm -hmm. Well, at that age, okay, now 25-year-olds right now, when did the iPhone become a thing? It was when they were 13 years old, right? So since they were 13, they've, they've been used to having a phone on them their whole time just talking to them and, like, YouTube talking to them, right? And they just didn't want to do personal lessons. And it took me a few months to figure out, oh, but they like videos. Videos is what they, these guys like, right? They want a video. They want it on their own time. They don't want a personal lesson, right? But it took me a few months to figure that out. And since then, 
but it took me four months of just trying everything. By the way, you're going to hear the gremlins in the radiator. We're in the middle of a <laughs> snowstorm. I can hear it starting. Yeah, a- anyway. Uh, but, yeah, so business took, took a bit of a hit this year, starting in the hole. But I said, you know, I look, this, uh, this can either be a problem you deal with for two or three years, or you could just get on your game and figure this out right now, which I'm very proud I did. I would wake up after six hours of sleep, go to the weight room, come home, work 12, 14, 16 hours sometimes, at least 10. Every day I aim for 10, right? Because if you do 10 hours a day, five days a week, that's 50 hours. You're going to be out working most people, right? And more than ever, I tried to make sure the hours were meaningful, right? Like if I had, if I had a free hour and I had a guy trying to get a lesson, I just always put that lesson in, right? And just trying to be proactive, doing four or five lessons a day, trying to do my YouTube channel, trying to, uh, try, trying to have my mailing list. Like every week on my mailing list, free article, free podcast, free video, free another article. Just then uh, selling videos, doing more video projects. And I hit a goal the other day, Barry. I got my tax return back. And it said, you have the money. You did it. <laughs> You're current with the IRS, right? I mean, obviously, you got to take care of everything you can, right? But, like, there's, there's a – but, like, this year, I got it all done, right? There's a, a – it, it's always weird with gambling because you got to figure out, like, oh, you got to pay this guy out and you got to pay that guy out and how much are you really liable for and stuff like that, right, comes up. But as far as I can tell, like, I've done my job, right? And that made me feel – really manly for a minute like i did it i did it <laughs> i came to new york and i worked hard i looked and paid at your me. taxes huh <laughs> and paid your taxes yeah i paid my taxes well you know someone's got to pay for obama to get a concert with beyonce or what what is it with trump now what i can't do that joke anymore what's a good trump joke what is Trump? Trump someone's got to pay for Trump's military parade, damn it. But he likes golfing as well. He likes golf. Right They're all twerps, bro. Every single one of them. Like, I just, here's my thing. Like, if you elected me president of the United States, I might love golf, right? I'm not, I'm not going to be playing golf for those four years because it would just look bad, right? How the, how, is, how the hell is the, you know the working man in Wisconsin going to identify with me when he gets to go out and play golf like twice a year with his buddies, right? If he's lucky, if he's lucky and I'm the leader of the free world and I got every Thursday and Sunday off to go play golf. Like (laughs) anyway, uh, there, yeah, no, I paid my taxes. Not only did I pay my taxes, I saved up the money, uh, uh, to put my girlfriend and I in in an apartment. I, I got in, in in uh in New York that is uh that is quite a proposition because not only do you have to pay pay first and last and a deposit here, you have to pay a broker. <laughs> so yeah. you have to pay a broker another month's rent to get you into the place. Now the cool thing about that is you can just walk around Queens and just walk into a broker's office and go, Show me all your apartments and they'll be like, Right this way, sir and you have no appointment or anything, and they'll just show you five apartments in the city. And then you're like, okay, that was interesting. I'll get back to you. Walk into the next broker. Show me your apartments, good lady. And then you go see another five or ten apartments, right? And so the, it, 
we, uh, you know, I got, I saved up the money for that. The whole time I've been taking care of my mom's health care, her groceries, her cleaning fees, you know, stuff like that. My, uh, I always feel weird mentioning this. I don't know why my mom's disabled, right? So it's like she can't work for herself, right? And yeah, I felt very manly for a minute, right? Like, look what I did. My business had a bad year and look at me, right? And then right after that, Barry, collapse. Just, I've got nothing left in the tank. I yeah. don't, just nothing's left. Because once you, you know, it's like you cross the finish line, right? And you're like, yeah. you, know, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, I'm not. I heard a great analogy the other day about that. It's like, you know, it's um, once an object's moving, it's like Newton's law or whatever. It's easier for it to keep going and keep going and keep going. But as soon as you stop for a bit, it's like, the energy required to get you even moving again is greater, you know, and sometimes you just don't have it after deadlines and stuff. It's like the analogy the guy used was like a rocket ship, you know, it's so much power and fuel and energy to get up, but once it's actually moving and off the ground, it's, you know, it gets less and less and less, momentum takes over. And people, when they throw themselves into tasks or goals, and the weird thing is, it's like once you achieve your goal, it's like that's it, and that's why monetary goals are so dangerous. I think they're just yeah. I've done it in my life and crawled back from zero money to like five figures before, and then thought instantly I would feel, and you're like, well, no, because I've just absolutely killed myself doing that, you know, because and you're so invested and. Literally, it's just a doot on your bank statement or bank account, you know, a little uptick that changes your uh, digits and stuff. And don't get me wrong, the actual money and the security that savings, etc. brings is what you're doing it for. But with setting goals, and not just monetary goals, if you set any goal, I find it's like sometimes when you achieve it, it's like, okay, well, what's next then? And you've identified so much with this. I'm talking about goals you're really invested in and you carry out action. Like like yourself, what you did, Alex, and like what I did a few years ago when um, I sort of gave up and got in the poker and got back into buying and selling and the antiquing and stuff. I really threw myself into it like 24-7, full on, you know, really, really working harder than I've admittedly ever worked in my life on anything and got the rewards like like financial for it and freedom again after it and actually enjoyed doing it because it did you know i enjoyed doing it so it didn't feel but what happens then is when you're really invested in these goals and then once you say a goal is sort of an end and it by its definition and once it's done it's what do you replace that with what do you fill that void with you know it's like that's a very good point and and what happens is you start to start going, and, and that's when people can actually, if you want to get right into like the psychology, and again, myself or Alex are definitely not trained psychologists or uh, even trained chimps, we are not. But um, it's like, if you don't replace that with something else, people can then self-sabotage actually, okay. to then to then get, the, I think actually to quote Gary Vee, the famous Gary Vaynerchuk, he actually said something about that. Like He's like, sometimes he wanted to lose or hope he lost or that so he could start again because he enjoyed that. 
And I think some gamblers do that. You know, we are a gambler oh, yeah. poker podcast. They, they they almost like that. The old quote is, "What's better than a winning at gambling, uh, or what's what's just as good as winning at gambling, or the same losing? You know, at gambling mm-hmm. because it takes a lot of human needs and emotions, and then people can go ah, and then fight back and etc. and crawl back. And I think it's that's what the the problem with goals is that when you actually throw yourself into them and you achieve them, it's like, right, what next now? And what's my purpose? You know, I've, I've basically focused on this for a year or two years or whatever. Now it's done. I still kind of feel anxiety or I'm maybe still pissed off with this person or that person. And, oh, look, I still got a parking ticket. You know, it's like the world doesn't just change and open once you've achieved your goal. So... Um, maybe there's an argument for just setting those goals higher so you can't achieve, you know, like aim for the stratosphere sort of thing. And um, and Gary Vaynerchuk again, uh, this is the Gary V like podcast. Uh, when he's talking about like buying the the jets, isn't it? He's on yeah, the jets to buy the jets. And he said people, and he said people misunderstand me. It's not actually buying the jets. It's the quest in the journey of getting to the position where you could buy the jet. You know, that's what he said. He's like, he doesn't sometimes believe even like he can actually go to, he's going to buy the jet. It's, but if you push for that and go for that, then who knows where you end up. The old sort of aim for the stars and you might hit the moon sort of thing. But uh-huh. goal settings, definitely. I think it's important because, you know, this is going to sound pretty stupid and literal actually, but I found when I set goals at the start of a year or the start of a month or whenever and actually do the action and work towards them, it's amazing that it kind of does work. You do achieve oh, yeah. your goals. You do, you, do the, you do achieve them. I find the struggle and the problem with doing that, though, is when you get into that mindset and that's the way you're programming yourself, you then need to constantly reset goals and set goals and then I think that can become a problem because you then, some of the ones you then set, they're not as important to you, you know, that you've not achieved. So you don't get that almost sort of uh, fix of, you know, the achievement. And like we've said, I think you touched on it, Alex, in one of your recent letters or blog posts, somewhere I've read it, I'm sure it was you. You said like you you did all this to achieve the goal and then it's like you feel empty or whatever after it. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I, the the thing I realized, I I couldn't handle success in Costa Rica. I I had a lot going on for me there. I had multiple businesses. They they were doing well. I had a huge house. Uh, I have a picture of it somewhere. If you look at it, you'd marvel at the side of it. I made a joke in one of my battles. Like, I have bathrooms in my house that I've forgotten about. That's not a joke. There was a bathroom I forgot about <laughs> in, my, in my house at that time because it was so big, I just never got to it, right? And I, uh, you know, and by the way, I don't want to make myself sound like I was doing that well because all this stuff was very cheap in Costa Rica. I mean, compared to the United States, right? Uh I had a mortgage. It wasn't that expensive, uh, but it, it, I, I built up the place a lot, too. I hired people who built it up. It had a lot of land that wasn't developed. I, I happened to find somebody who wasn't in a great situation who had to get rid of the house pretty quickly, and that brought the price down. But 
I just didn't know what to do with myself after I was successful. And what I, what I did a lot of was just eat and just get fat. And I, I did a lot of, I was just making money for the sake of making money. And I found that money didn't make me happy. Like it didn't do anything. It didn't, uh, it actually got, because money makes you really happy when you're poor because you need it. Right. And, yeah. uh, a meal tastes really good when three days ago you couldn't afford it. But when it, you could get it anytime you want, you could get it every night if you'd like. Like you can eat out every night. It's, it's going to diminish. It's going to every night. It's going to taste worse. And I just, I was looking for anything and I, I didn't, you know, and I, I'd, I'd, uh, you know, on the tour, I'd had every, pleasure that people thought they want men think they want like if you watch a show like honorage you think is like the be all end all in life and like it didn't do anything for me it was all empty it was a joke like nobody mm. and uh i didn't i i think a lot of it is people who become successful cannot rest I think Gary V would die if he stopped. I think there's a great article in ESPN magazine about Ichiro. Uh, Ichiro is probably one of the best baseball players to ever come from Japan. Uh, he He's 44 years old now, and he's still fighting to play baseball because he there's people who say like he will die if he stops playing baseball. His vision is going. They speculate, and he's trying to find a way to still hit that ball. He still works out every single day. Every day. If it's snowing outside, he'll still go out and work. He's just because that's what that guy has. That's what he has. And I was reading Gary Vee's book uh, on my vacation, and his new book, Crushing It, I started it and finished it on the plane. It's a short book, but we also got held on the tarmac for two and a half hours. But anyway, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, and it's all full of good ideas, but I finished the book and I thought, to what end? Like, all these people work 14, 16 hours a day, and they're saying in their, like, testimonials, like, yeah, it's really hard. Uh, like we, I, we can't ever go on a trip because it'd be so hard to manage my business. And like, they're all saying this and I always want to say, then what's the point? Yeah. Like literal guys at GameStop have three day weekends. Like guys at McDonald's have three day weekends. You don't have a three day weekend. There's two and free food. Uh, and free food. <laughs> right. yeah. I got a lot of free food at Arby's. I, I, I thought about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, you clearly have. But uh, there, there's two different types of riches. There's financial riches, which is nice, and there's quality of life riches, which to me is what we actually want, right? It's like the Tim Ferriss thing. Nobody, nobody wants a million dollars to just look at it. They want the freedom that a million dollars brings. And there's a lot of people who have that because they live a very minimal life. What you're wanting to have is not a million dollars, five million dollars, fifty million dollars. To me, you are a really successful person when you have enough. If you have enough, you are a successful person. 
I bet there's billionaires that don't have enough. I bet there's billionaires that are miserable. I bet there are yeah. billionaires that would do anything just to have an hour like we're having right now to drink coffee and shoot the uh, just whatever talk right and drink coffee and share time with one another. They don't have that. They and it, it took me a long time to get that shift, which is I. I was watching a documentary the other day. I know, it's something I want to correct on this show. I've always been really down on people who watch TV. But what I'm really down on are people who complain about their situation and then there's not a TV show you can bring up that they haven't tried. That really bugs me, right? But the, the other day I was watching some CNBC documentary. It wasn't all that good. But my my girlfriend fell asleep and on my shoulder and I was holding her and I was thinking, I've pretty much done everything in my life that everybody said, like, this will bring you pleasure. Like when you watch rap videos when you're a kid or Entourage, like, oh, this will make you happy. Right. You know, just <laughs> like just money and like clubs and Ford Explorers. Like, I mean, uh, like I, I messed up the make of the car, but just like murdered out escalades and money and drugs and all that. Like I, I wasn't big and you know, I, I smoked pot and drank beer, but like I, I never did any of the bigger drugs cause they scared me. But like I had, I could have had whatever I wanted at that time. And it, nothing felt better than the freedom to just sit there and relax. It was, they asked Johnny Cash, what's heaven? At the end of his career, he said, mornings with my wife and a cup of coffee. That's what he answered, a guy who had everything. That's what he said. That was heaven. And I just went on this vacation where <laughs> we flew to the other side of the country because that's where most of our friends are. Uh, because we, uh, my girlfriend and I are both from the West Coast. And... They, it's funny, they all went to a vineyard and they're all drinking. I'm thinking, all right, everybody's going to get real wild, right? And then they're like, let's do puzzles, right? And I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> you all flew here to do puzzles? And then I was thinking, I'm the judgmental dork here. It, you are the richest person on earth if what you want to do is spend your free time doing puzzles with your friends and drinking wine, and you can arrange that. And you can do that. And you don't care that you have to go a couple states over to do it. Like, I, I know I'm on kind of a weird philosophical tip right now, but it's about the quality of life. And, yeah, I'm really finding that right now because after, I'll be honest, I was excited when I got broke after my, after my divorce. Like, I, you, you all think I'm insane right now? And I'm not joking. I was excited. Because, yeah, I got to do it again. I, got, I was like, I can do this again. I know I can do this again. Watch me do this again. And honestly, I feel more at home in Newark than I do in Manhattan. This is familiar to me. And perhaps the household I grew up in was the type that led to anxiety-driven arousal, I guess is what they call it and psychotherapy, right? Like you're just constantly on edge. And I love that in my work because that's familiar to me and I'm good at it. I master it. I'm better at it. There's no one who can do what I can do. 
but what people are really good at that I'm not good at, and I'm not going to lie, I'm deathly afraid of, is success. I really struggle with, I don't have to work anymore. I don't have to work late at night. That's really difficult for me. It's really hard for me to, I love it when the option is, you have no choice, you have to work. Great, I'll do it, <laughs> right? I kind of loved being fat and going back to the gym because there was no missing a day, right? It, it didn't, I, could, I didn't have a day to miss. It, it's, uh, and the money was so significant, like I wasn't ever going to miss a day of training, right? Now, now uh, it's, uh, I'm not going to lie, I'm scared. I'm really scared because I failed at this before, being successful. I failed at it, and it's coming again, and I've always done really well when I was hungry. I, I always did really well when I was yeah. 18 years old and damn near homeless. Like, I did really well at that. Like, I, I, re I really came out hungrier and did that really well, and it's a... It's it's really hard to explain to people, like, what childhood I came from and, like, how hard I had to work. Like, whenever I see a, an athlete who's kind of crazy or I see someone who's successful who's kind of crazy, like, I hate it when people talk bad about Negrano because, like, we, we all know Negrano is a little out there, right? But every, every time somebody talks bad about him, I always go, you do not know what that guy sacrificed to get there. You, you and I have no idea. Negrano's on another level we'll never understand when it comes to work ethic and when it comes to reads and it comes to all these things. Like, I don't know what that guy gave up. I know what I gave up, and I can't explain it to people. People don't get it. And it's, it's hard. It's, <laughs> it, it sounds weird, but just, I, you know what was the most successful I've been this entire year? Barry, is yesterday I watched a worthless basketball game. It was the first time all year I've done that. <laughs> and that was so hard for me to do because normally I'm like, I got to get up. I got to work. I got to do something. I got to get, I get, that's more comfortable to me. People, like, I don't have work ethic. I have anxiety. Nobody will ever match my work ethic because they couldn't. They're not built like I am. And, yeah, okay. Let's answer. I'm still, I'm still feeling the failed at being successful line. That really hits home with me. It's like, it's weird. And I think it's self-sabotage on some level, which is even weirder because you would think, why would you do that, you know? I'm talking about myself here as well, Alex. As you. Oh, yeah. And, well, in, I mean, it's just a part of, like, if you grow up in a certain type of household, like, stress is normal. It's stress is familiar. It's, uh, you want to master it. It's a actual calm is not familiar. If I could give anybody any advice who is listening to this and identifies with any of this, work out. <laughs> like there's very few things that take the stress away better than lifting weights, a long run, even a brisk walk. That's all I do. Whenever I'm stressed, I just, I just, I, I do push up negatives in my room. That's what, that's what I do. I just, uh, I, I, I need to lift weights constantly. And it's uh, I didn't know that was something I needed until probably I was about 30. But, it God, it does so much for your mental health, too. Like, whenever I feel like I'm on, on the tip of self-sabotage, I'm going to 
say something that's going to put me back into that spot of being desperate because that's what's familiar. I like having my back up against the wall. If I just, if I lift weights, all that pain goes away. And then I, I really feel like this time I'm going to hold on to success. I really believe I'm ready for it this time. Let's, uh, let's, let's answer some questions. Yeah. Okay. Right. Let me pull up the first question for this episode. Okay. The first question is from Roger. Hey Alex, between the podcast and the materials I purchased, I haven't heard you talk much yet about ace-x hands, specifically the lower ones, ace-suited up to ace-nine-suited. What are your thoughts? Love them, hate them, like them in the right spots. I play primarily 1-2 and 1-3 live cash, and it seems like with everyone playing king-x's and queen-x's, etc., there should be money to be made playing ace-x's. But then realistically, the odds of getting a flush over flush and then getting paid are pretty long. So ASEX suited, actually. I should re-clarify that. All thoughts appreciated. Thanks, as always, for the great work. And thanks for your tips the other week on long sessions. It really helped me, Roger. Hey, Roger. I'm really glad I could help you with long sessions. Thank you for uh, checking out the material and writing in. Uh, the reason I don't talk about many ASEX suited hands, I, I usually say don't play these hands, and I don't take it much further than that. Uh, I looked at a sample of, I looked at a lot of samples of my own play, and specifically me trying to make hands profitable as a preflop raise and a three bet. I found King 10 offsuit Jack 7 suited to be much better three betting hands uh, than ASEX suited. I, I found it very difficult to make money with ASEX suited unless I knew the person was opening a very wide range of hands. And I don't mean my normal targeting of this person opens 20% of hands. Okay, great. I know it goes down to every pair, every suited ace, and some broadways. I, I think I can handle this guy. I mean, like, I really needed to know the guy was opening wide. And uh, generally, if you watch uh, very quality cash game players and those those are the guys that get the most hands in and they have to be the most consistent uh many times uh if they're playing with a tougher structures uh i mean tougher of competition you'll notice those guys drop ace eight suited from ace two suited all the way up until some of them even go past the hijack but usually up till the hijack uh Usually it's about the cutoff they start playing the suited aces, just because if you ever look at a heat map, I think that's what they're called, on a hold a manager too. Anyway, you can just go to a position. Uh, you can go to the position tab, and you can look at the hands that are making money and losing money. I pull this up all the time in database reviews in my lessons, and uh, you'll just find like twos, threes, fours, five, sixes, suited aces, uh, like Jack-10, Queen-10, King-Queen. These are the hands that people u usually lose money with in early position. If you can play a large multi-way pot with them, like, by all means, go ahead and do so. Because like you said, you stack a guy if he has lower flushes. This is why I generally don't love the hand as a three-bet, because what you end up doing is, let's say you have ace-8 suited, a guy raises and you three-bet, well, now he folds ace-9 on down, he calls with ace-10 on up, and it's like, okay, this is, this is going to be really bad if an ace flops, right? And he folds like his, uh, let's, say, let's say he folds his king-8 suited, right? So you're not going to get that flush over flush. That would be really nice. 
So what ends up happening is I think it's really good in late position if somebody raises, if you can flat, because I do teach a very three-bet intensive game, a very attacking style game. Quite frankly, I think my way of thinking about the game is going to become a bit more commonplace within the next few years as people explore databases and see it's not really my opinion. Three bets make much more money than people would realize. Uh, there's no reason it should be a social faux pas to three bet suited aces. I mean, not excuse me, to three bet three times an orbit, right? Except for suited aces would not be the one hand I would love, right? Uh, I think if you're three betting that intensely, like King 10 offsuit works very well as a three bet because... A lot of times you will get 10-8 suited, 10-7 suited, 10-9 suited, jack-10 suited, queen-10 suited, queen-10 offsuit, jack-10 offsuit to peel. And you can make a considerable amount of money from that. And that's a type of hand that works very poorly, uh, that works very, very poorly multi-way. It's really likely to make pairs in multi-way pots. Pairs tend to get run down by the river. Whereas like an ace-4 suited, uh, it'll either make a very weak ace, and if you if you face a little bit of firepower on turn and river, most likely it's not that good. And you can just pitch it quite quickly. Or it makes a two pair, which you can get a little bit more money from. But if, you know, you, you bet on the turn, the guy raises, most likely it's not good. Uh, I find people, if they're good at folding two pairs, you can be good at no limit hold them. That's, that's, a, that's a thing I think of constantly. It's like if I look at a guy's database and I've never seen him bet fold two pair, I really worry about his progress especially like a baby two pair is like aces and fours. But if it makes a flush, obviously you're going to do really well uh, versus inferior flushes. It's a great hand to play if you're like 200 big lines deep uh, playing cash games down in Las Vegas. But if you're playing 45x deep and one guy raises and you're in the hijack with ace five suited and there's four people behind you who could squeeze you, no, absolutely do not flat ace five suited. Uh, if the guy's opening 25-30% of the hands, like you've seen some goofy opens with a 6-4 suited or something, go ahead and 3-bet the guy small, get him, get, get him heads up, but otherwise just pitch it most of the time. People, people forget one way to exploit your opponent's range is twofold. It, that, and I don't... I find the hands to be very, very overrated. Uh, I think it's one of those things we see in Ace, we anchor... Uh, it, what they refer to in, as anchoring and thinking fast and slow. Uh, and what ends up happening is you start thinking this hand is better than it is. Whereas if you saw like a king in a four suited, you wouldn't think much of it, right? You go, eh, it's a pretty crappy hand. Yet we're all kind of doing it in our head right now. You think of an ace four suited, it's like, yeah, that looks pretty nice. Like the equity <laughs> difference is not much, right? But it just looks so good, the ace, right? The one spot. So, yeah, that would be, I tend to not, in my opening ranges in uh, Master Tournament Poker in one class, there's, uh, oh, God, I was supposed to mention at the beginning of this, Master Tournament Poker in one class is going off sale in a couple days. So if you guys want to get in on that and get 75% off, you have to do it quickly. Uh, but, yeah, in those, I use charts in Master Tournament Poker in one class, and I'd begrudgingly put some suited aces in there, but I know pros that have made more money than I'll ever make who just, so many pros who just are like, you know what, I don't play these from early position, I don't play them from mid position, I don't really flat them all that much, 
I'm just not a big fan of them, Alex. And I, the more I play, the more I seem to understand that. And the more I look at uh, expected earnings for each hand grouping in databases, I'm starting to see why they don't bother with them, especially when they're multi-tabling. Good luck to you, Roger. Okay. Our next question is from Augie. You offered a bit of knowledge about your early days in poker in your most recent video. I connected a lot with what you had to say, but I'm struggling with how I should approach playing more pay poker when I'm underage and the online scene is so sketchy. If you have any recommendations on what you would do as a young poker player in 2018, I would love to hear them. Uh, thanks, Augie, was it? Yeah, Augie, Augie. I think. Yeah, yeah. My general advice is don't do it. Like, it's... Uh it's it's very difficult to get into poker right now, uh, but if you're going to do it, if what I just said fired you up, you got a shot. It's it, the thing about it. Okay, I started when I was underage. I got kicked out of Tulalip Casino in Seattle, uh, which was fun. I I was on the internet when I was underage. The thing about playing underage is if at any time they figure out what you're doing, they can take your money. And that's, that's the terms and conditions, right? So if you're okay with playing with that, that's fine. But, well, I mean, I, I personally think at your age, I don't know what your age is, you should be focusing on school. I think you should be focusing on getting a job, learning a trade. All my students now, like guys who do really well in tournaments, right? They all have jobs like one clean septic tanks. He makes hundreds of thousands a year because that's a job nobody wants to do, and he makes sure he does it really well. Uh, there's a lot of electricians. Electricians make good money. There's a lot of guys who run auto body shops. Uh, there's a lot of guys who work in oil fields. I, I'm really a big fan of get a trade. Learn a skill you can trade. Uh, if you're a plumber, there, you'll always have something you can offer people, right? Now, uh, it, it'll get a little annoying when people know you're a plumber and they keep calling you over to their house, but it's not a bad thing when everybody owes you favors, right? If you learn how to be a line cook, you'll always be able to ingratiate yourself. Uh, is that how you say the word, Barry? Yeah, okay. uh, I think so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you'll always... Uh, yeah, my my ability to speak. Uh, you'll always be able... I. It looks like I'm about to do some announcing work coming up. I'm probably not going to be able to do that. Is that a word, guys? Yeah, yeah, no, Alex, but okay. Continue. But anyway, there. if you can cook... That, I used to work in a kitchen, and all I learned was how to clean. Right, I knew how to clean up a kitchen really well. I used to, uh, I was a landscaper. I learned how to be able to take care of lawns, right? You wouldn't think that came up. The first place I rented, uh, it was an older couple, and they had a hard time with their lawn. And I got a, some money knocked off of my rent because I could take care of the lawn. And that, that kind of, that, that helped me quite a bit. Uh Whenever I, I'm over at someone's house and I have to stay with them, I can have their, I can cook simple dishes and I can clean up around the place. And 
people really like that, right? I know how to wash dishes. Most people, what takes most people 25 minutes to do for dishes, I can do in five minutes. So at that friend's gathering over the weekend in California, I did the dishes for everybody, and I did it in no time, right? And that, that was a great way to show, like, hey, guys, thanks for having me over. You need, I think even, I think it was Aristotle who said you need a skill. If you have a skill you can trade with, you can be of more value to people, and then people will start looking for ways to help you. I really do believe this. I cannot tell you how good my students are to me because I've helped them with something in the past. And if you give, you will get it back. But when you're younger, I think going into poker, the easiest, the easiest way to get better at poker is to play for love of the game. They asked Phil Ivey, you know, when did you get, get to be Phil Ivey? Phil Ivey was a losing player the first two years he played. I heard this, and I'm pretty sure it's true, uh, because now I'm in Jersey, so I've heard a little bit more. The first two years he played, he was a losing player. The third year he played, he barely broke even. The way he changed is he started playing because he loved the game. At the beginning, he admitted it was just a way for him to make money. He played when he started loving the game. You will not be able to play for love of the game if you did what I did, which is you go pro right out of high school, you burn through your savings, you're living in some dump apartment, you're pissing off at any girl that wants to be with you because you'd never have time and you're always moody because you're not going to learn when you're 18 years old and you're playing poker for a living, you will not know how to handle the swings. I have not, hell, I'm 30 years old. I've been doing this for 12 years. I don't know how to handle the swings half the time, right? <laughs> I don't know anybody who does, yeah. huh? No. Yeah. It's true. It's so true. You see, you see even these big name pros, you name it, struggle and post bad beats on Twitter. You're not telling me that they've mastered the swings. No, absolutely not. And uh, when you're 18 years old, I just don't, I missed out on so much by not going to school. It's one of my greatest regrets in life that I didn't go to school. I didn't... Do you know what it was like? Being... Tw it, like, everybody does that. Oh, you were on the tour. That must have been so great. Like, what? Being in another city every seven days? Seeing every casino? Yeah, eventually, I worked pretty hard to see the different cities and stuff. But what ended up happening is you get lonely... The only way you're going to meet anyone, I guess you kids have uh, the dating apps now and stuff like that, but the only way you were going to meet anyone back in the day is you had to go to a bar. You had to go to a bar and you had to start drinking because you needed a little liquid courage to go up to anyone. So I became an alcoholic because that was the only way I could talk to people. That was, and it, it was bad. It was really bad. And your, your, your time zones are always messed up. Uh, you're, you're always jet lagged. Like literally, you just live jet lagged. There's never good food on the tour. There's, like, nothing. It's, uh, you can't cook. You have no roots. You come back. Your friends are more distant than before. Uh, nobody gets you. Uh, you. You can't talk about your problems with anyone because nobody understands. And they all think you're a millionaire even though you're broke, which is the most annoying thing in the world. And it, when you tell people, I'm actually not, you know, I've got a little money, but I'm not doing that. Well, now you're a loser gambler. And it's, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And by the way, I'm the success story. I'm the one guy out of a hundred, if not a thousand, who made it. The other 99 who started with me in 2006 do not have a job in this industry anymore. The only reason they ever could take a shot is because they crawled back to their rich mom and dad and said, could I go back to school? I didn't have that option. 
half the reason I'm still here is because there was no backup plan. I cannot tell you the stress I've gone through. I cannot tell you how many people I've lost in my life, how many moments in my family's journey that I've missed because I was in Dortmund, Germany, listening to some jackass talk about how I'm not a real poker player because I accepted backing into a 10K tournament. Cannot tell you how many times you get caught bluffing and people insult you as you walk away from the table. You got to go back to your hotel room. And what? What are you going to do? You going to play some more? Imagine playing Tetris your whole life. That's what it's like to be. That's what it's like. And it's a, by the way, I love this game. I, I, I'm the one guy, uh, by the way, out of the hundred guys who make it, maybe like five really love it. If you get a bunch of poker players drunk and you say, do you really like this game? A lot of them will say no. They'll say, this is what I do. Um, you'll get, you'll get, I think it's starting to change. I think people, it used to be the cool thing to say, I hate this game. And that got really old. And then I think guys like Faraz Jaka started changing that and just saying like, you know what? I do love this game. And people like, I'll, you have to love it even when you don't like it. Like you just have to, you, uh, it, it's, but everybody I know who has a lot of fun at poker and has a circuit ring or has a bracelet, they have another job when they play, they have freedom. I don't, I honestly, I, I'll, I'll give you my, uh, my real take on the matter. I think getting a college degree is one of the worth, most worthless investments you could ever make in your life. I really believe that. I miss going to college because I did not get the experience of growing up with my peers. It was very, very lonely. There is nothing worse than being a 20-year-old guy telling women, I'm a poker pro. Like, there is nothing worse. Nobody respects you. Why should they? You're not in school. You don't even have a job. And for all they know, you're just sitting at home like 99 out of 100 of these guys eating Fruit Loops in your parents' basement calling yourself a professional poker player. If you want to get badass at this game, you got to realize it's a long run. It is a long haul. And you got to do it if you're... Like right now, you can't play. If you're in... If you're not reading everything you can at school just because you like the game, if you're not, like, checking out every book at the library, if you're not listening to every podcast, if you're not watching everything on YouTube, you're not going to make it. It's not about the money. If you want money from this, honestly, if you want... We have a big problem with a brain drain in poker because if you're really good at poker, nobody knows why you do it. If you're really good, you can go to Wall Street and you can play 250 million hands a day with their transaction machines. Or you can play 133 hands at the casino of low-stakes poker, but you'll get a free grilled chicken Caesar salad out of it. Which one are you going to pick if you're really good at this? So, and I'm sorry if I sound really negative, but if this doesn't fire you up and make you want it, you shouldn't ever try to go pro. You just shouldn't do it. And honestly, most of my students that get really good, they have another job. My most successful student, uh, I'm not going to say his name because I don't know if he wants me to, but I mean, this guy, this guy has major final tables. Uh, this, this guy's like encroaching on six figures in earnings, right? 
I mean, not earnings, like profit, period, right, over the last six months or something like that, he still works as a bartender because he likes getting out and being social and eating with his friends, and the tips are good. And you know what? He never worries when he makes a major final table because he'll just go back home and hang out with his girlfriend in their apartment, which is nice, and they'll have... He can, if, he, if he ever needs anything, he'll just go bartend. He's a really good bartender. He knows what he's doing. He takes pride in his work. And that, that's the other thing. If you, the day I started becoming good as a poker player was when I was working at Arby's. Because here's the thing. Arby's was peewee, right? That was like peewee football. If you can't show up for peewee football, how are you going to get the best in peewee football are the best in junior high who become the best in high school, become the best in college, who make the NFL roster. If you don't show up for day one, you don't show up, period. You have to take everything. Excellence is a habit. Excellence is a choice. Everything matters right now. Get your education if you can get it cheaply. Get a job, find a trade, learn to pay attention, learn to learn and you can become a great poker player. And realize, when you watch a guy play chess at the park, and he's 45 years old, and still trying to become a chess master, that is normal in poker. It takes 10, 20 years. Just like if you were becoming an NFL quarterback, they need guys with 10 years of experience, because it's such a difficult job. It is going to take a long time. I didn't think I could play the game until a year ago, Barry. Like, a year ago, I started, like, I get this game. I understand this game. I'm never scared when I play this game. I know what's going on. I can see the angles. I can see when you deviate from them. I know what's going on. I didn't have that. For I started playing when I was 15 years old. I was 29 when I started getting it. That's 14 years of complete obsession every single day. There is nobody on earth who watches, much, watches as much tournament poker as, as me. There is no one. I could not find that person. I would like to meet that person. Now, you can make the argument that I'm really stupid, and I might agree with you, but a lot of people just want to put their game in the microwave and have it come out two years later as Eric Seidel. It's not going to happen. You need to work harder, and you've got to love working hard at anything. The game starts when you show up at work in the kitchens. If you're excellent in the kitchens and taking care of people and working hard for other people, you will be excellent at working hard for yourself. You, it starts at 5 a.m. when you wake up for school. It starts with respect for your teachers. That's where it happens. And I think, you know what? I think anyone can do it. Because you know what? I'm one of the least talented people you will ever meet in this game. And I consistently outperform my opponents. Because all it takes is work. Hard work and discipline are the great equalizers, and you can get a lot of that right now at your age. You have a ton of energy. Put it towards something. Good luck to you. Okay. Alex, do you have time for one more question, or do you want to wrap uh, up? I got to wrap. I got a, I got a lesson. Okay, no problem. Alex, you mentioned details of the sale ending recently. Do you want to tell people again about that and also any other projects you got coming up or any other news in Alex world? Master Tournament Poker in one class is exactly like it sounds like. Uh, if you want to learn anything more about it, write me at alex at pokerheadrush.com. I will send you over all the testimonials from real users. I will send you the preview video. You can see the preview video 
in the liner notes of this episode here. And just check it out, and it'll give you a link at the bottom if you want to check out the product. It's on sale till March 10th. Uh, yeah, and that's pretty much it. Okay. Um, if you want to keep questions coming in for Alex for next week's show, although we do have tons in just now, but we will get to them eventually, so please do keep them coming in. Um, it is questions at oneouter.com on email, and we will get them read out on a future show. You can also tweet them or post them in the Facebook group, and they will all go into the big notepad uh, in the sky and we'll get read out on a future episode. Alex, thanks very much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Have a good one. The OSS Cubed is back from February 25th to March 25th. The OSS Cubed gets underway on Sunday, February 25th, and it's bringing to the table over $15 million in guarantees over four weeks. Yep, that's $15 million, our most exciting endeavor yet, with three massive main events. We're talking three consecutive tourney series, and it all starts with Moss, our mini online super series, beginning February 25th. Then, on March 5th, our flagship OSS, that's Online Super Series, drops. And on March 19th, The Boss, the bigger Online Super Series. It all adds up to 141 online poker events with something for everyone. And with the weekly Million Dollar Sunday Tournament, it's something you can't afford to miss. Moss, OSS, or Boss? Whether you choose one or all, this is absolutely huge, and it's waiting for you at America's Card Room.